We have another Q&A episode where I'm answering all of your questions. Welcome to the Run Smarter podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. They're coming in thick and thin. I have put out the request over Facebook, Instagram, on the Patreon Facebook group, Instagram stories. What questions do you have? What do you want me to answer? And I've got a ton of them that won't get through them all. I thought today's Q&A, we can talk about the ones coming from the Instagram stories and the Instagram post. And that will at least get us through. I've picked four here, some four interesting ones. And next episode, we're going to go into the patrons and the Facebook group, what they've managed to come up with. And I've put together four questions to answer from that. So as the title suggests, we're going to talk about asphalt running, um, trusting Garmin data or just data in general, uh, when we should be doing our strength training when preparing for a marathon and also is Olympic, Olympic lifting good for running. And so... Our first question came in um, from an Instagram story. It was from Nasiri and asked, nice and simple, is running on asphalt harmful? And my first inkling is no, um, if you have adapted to it. This is back to our universal principles. It's making sure that our training volumes, intensities, the terrain that we're on, our footwear that we have, we're adapted to those particular parameters. And if we are adapted, we're working within our adaptation zone and significantly reduces our risk of injury. But a lot of people have a lot of fear. They might've been told or just a general perception that if you're running on asphalt, which is kind of like hard tar, I think bitumen is another word for it, um, pavement surface, it is really hard, really firm and maybe that's something that's quite unhelpful because most people can relate to the ground reaction forces when you run and potentially something softer can be more forgiving, reduce the ground reaction forces and therefore reduce the loads on the body and reduce the likelihood of injury. Sounds good in theory. Um, and it may seem dangerous um, or more dangerous compared to say trail or running on grass or running on like soft sand or like at least um, compact sand. So it's a little bit more forgiving. Um, <clears throat> but I guess it can be dangerous if the transition is too, too abrupt. So if you are a trail runner or you've been running on grass for several months 
and then you've got a road marathon to prepare for, making that adjustment that's outside your adaptation zone can potentially put you at risk of injury. But that it's not the the bitumen, it's not the asphalt that's the cause, it's the abrupt change, similar to like footwear. So people can change their footwear to say something more minimalist and that adjustment is too much and the body's like, what are you doing to me? I'm not used to this and we're running too much in this new shoe and then you get injured. It's not the shoe that causes the injury, it's the the dramatic shift. And so be careful when you're dealing with a change in any of your parameters within your um, weekly routine. And as long as we pay attention to all those parameters and adjust sensibly and accordingly, then uh, it reduces your risk of injury. So yes, if you're used to running on grass and then you go to road um, or, or say trail and then go to road, just make sure you do so carefully. Um, it won't be the asphalt's fault, <laughs> the asphalt's fault <laughs> if you are, um, if that transition is too abrupt. But also what I thought I'd add in here is if you are going from trail to road and then you do so patiently or not patiently and you develop an injury, it might not be the actual asphalt and the the hard surface. It might actually be what we call repetition style injuries because what trails do is offers more variety for foot placement or variability for foot placement because there's a lot of change in direction, change in um, like uphill, downhill, you're constantly um, moving directions, uneven surfaces, your foot placement is varied. Whereas often when you go to asphalt, road, um, you know, footpath and you're training for say a road marathon and you're trying to make it tailor your training that's more specific to the road running, just a lot of miles on road, that makes the running action step by step repeatable. It's the same action over and over and over again. And so some people can get a repetition injury because it is because it lacks that variety, lacks that change in load on the body and it's that consistent load on the body tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of times within the week <clears throat> that could increase the, the risk of injuries. Not because it's a hard surface, it's just because your running technique is now extremely consistent every single step. ITB syndrome is very um, classic when it comes to, well, it's very common and it's the most common repetitive injury. And so sometimes for ITB syndrome, sometimes nice to be on the flats, but also around trail. So you're constantly changing your foot placement can be a nice adjustment. So something to consider, it's not actually the hard surface. It's more the, the consistency or the change in your running technique. In terms of ground reaction force, something I wanted to mention, provided that you don't have an overstride. So there's two really big faults that you can have in your running action. One, if you're overstriding, so your initial contact is too far in front of your center of gravity, or you have a really low cadence, which kind of go hand in hand. If you are absent of all those, if you have a, if you don't have an overstride, if your cadence is good, um, your ground reaction force won't be manipulated too much, or the peak in your ground reaction force won't be manipulated too much by the change in surface. And in fact, the body would actually prefer firmer 
surface underneath compared to something soft when it comes to running efficiency. It increases your running efficiency, increases your running economy if you have a firm undersurface. So asphalt can actually be beneficial rather than something, say, with um, mud if like the trails are quite wet or if you are on sand or sometimes grass if the grass is, way, is, is a bit too thick. What's happening is the body, when you, your foot makes contact with the ground, you need something firm to push off. If it is firm, then there's less energy wasted. And if it is really soft, you're losing a lot of that energy. It's very hard to push off something that's not really that stable. And people would know this if they've ever tried running on sand. It is extremely hard. Your foot, your calves get a really big workout. And I don't recommend running on soft sand. You do get those really compact wet sand that doesn't um, sink as much, which can be okay. But soft sand, it's... I rarely would recommend it and a lot of the health professionals that I follow don't recommend it at all because it is just so bad for you. <laughs> so just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. Keep in mind that the body, when it comes to efficiency, when it comes to running mechanics, when it comes to your running economy and performance, that firm undersurface is actually encouraged. And <clears throat> there were some studies around the cushioning of a shoe and when there is greater cushioning within the shoe, people strike the ground harder one, because they think they can get away with it maybe a little bit more. But secondly, it's because you have to hit the ground harder to achieve that firm push-off when there's more cushioning. And so it's the same principle that applies. So very good to consider when talking about harder surfaces and if it's going to be harmful or not. Next, I have two questions that I've kind of decided to sandwich together. We have Alia May who said, for easy run slash base training, does heart rate have to be within your aerobic zone? And she puts in brackets on my Garmin watch. But then Erin also said, should I trust my Garmin? My recovery time is whack. I feel great and it says I need rest. So there's those two things. I've decided just to combine them and um, yeah, kind of just talk about both topics at once. So when it comes to easy running, you should be, keep in mind that easy running is an internal feeling, an internal perception. It's not uh, an intensity zone or a heart rate zone or a speed. Um, it is an internal feeling. It's an effort. Um, yes, it's nice to have a reference point in terms of Garmin zones, in terms of speed, in terms of heart rate zone. And that reference point is subject to change. So what I mean by that, if you have, if you go for a run and say, okay, my run today calls for a running intensity of a four out of 10 perceived effort. So I should be running at a four out of 10. I've had episodes on this on how to rank RPE and what all these numbers mean, if you want to flick through that. But the reference point can be, okay, 
I want to run at a four out of 10 effort. That would be around about a five minute kilometer, five minutes per kilometer. So your reference point is the speed, but that is subject to change depending on how you start. So you could start out at five minutes per K and feel really good. Your legs are fresh, feeling recovered. It's nice and cold outside and you just feel like you can maintain a four out of 10 effort and increase your speed. So we've changed from that reference point. But on the opposite side of things, if you start running at five minutes per K and it's a little bit hot outside, you probably haven't recovered, didn't sleep that well. Some factors come into play like, man, this is a real struggle. And my effort, my internal perception of how hard I'm working is actually now about a five and creeping up to a six. Let me back off the speed and adjust accordingly. So make sure that, yes, it's nice to have Garmin zones like your effort zones, heart rate zones, speed, all these sort of things. Nice to have a reference point to start with, but subject to change throughout the run based on how you're feeling because your recovery efforts and the weather, there's all these different factors that can play into your perceived efforts. And it's the, it's the internal effort that matters most because that is what's going to, that's how the body is feeling. It's how the body is going to handle certain loads. So if you trick, if you try and convince yourself that the five minute per kilometer is your four out of 10 effort, and then you are struggling, it's a hot day, haven't recovered, haven't slept well, your diet's probably a bit off. Um, and then you continue at that five out of uh, five minute pace and the intensity creeps up to a six when you should have been at a four. It's that load, that that perception that the body's going to say, this is a bit too much. It doesn't matter what speed you're going. It's telling itself, okay, this is too much. And then may lead to a carryover of just feeling really sluggish, maybe fatigue. And all of a sudden you start running with a little bit more fatigue and could potentially increase your risk of injury. So it's the internal effort that matters, not speed or all those other things. Um, which carries me over into the Garmin recovery time. Um, should we trust this? I don't actually know. I don't have a Garmin. Like I don't use, well, I have a Garmin, but I don't use the recovery times or the heart rate zones or anything like that. But I could just imagine that they're just using, finding some sort of data based on your um, what information they know about you and just using an algorithm to come up with a, a time for reco- a recovery time. And I find it hard to believe that it would, that it would be that accurate because like I've said before, there's so many factors that come into and play a role in how you feel, how you recover. And so like anything, and this is a really nice bit of advice that I have, use it as a piece of evidence Use it as a piece of data that you factor in with all of your decision making, and it shouldn't be factor. It shouldn't be the whole picture. It should just be a part of a piece of the puzzle. And similar to like having a reference point for your heart rate zones, your speeds, and allocating effort, it's subject to change. This is sort of like just a piece of the puzzle. If your Garmin says, "Okay, you need to recover for the next twenty four hours," um, consider it like. Don't totally ignore it, but just consider it. Okay, this is part of the data. How am I also feeling? Um, How is my training going so far? 
do I feel the need to recover for that long? Just that's to be considered. And I have a few examples myself, like I use an aura ring, which um, just measures my sleep and my sleep metrics. And um, it has my heart rate variability and my readiness. So every morning I open up the app, comes up with my sleep score and my readiness score. And I use that as a piece of the puzzle. And I also observe how I'm feeling and use that also as a bit of data. I probably use how I'm feeling like that would override what these numbers say, but it's good to have the data. And some days I need rest. Some days I wake up and my readiness score is high. My heart rate, my sleep score is high. And they say, yes, it's, you're good to go, but I just feel not great. And so I choose to have a light day or have a rest day or cross training day. But there are other times on the opposite where they say, oh, time to rest. Um, your heart rate was a little bit elevated overnight. Your heart rate variability score isn't great. I say, well, I'm actually feeling really good. I haven't really pushed myself that much. Might've just been something I ate last night. Um, there's so many factors that come into it. Um, I might've, uh, some things that I've noticed is if I do a triathlon, my readiness score is poor for like three or four days. If I've really pushed myself that I will trust. Um, if I, if I drank a beer, if I had one or two beers the night before, I know that influences my heart rate variability and my heart rate. And so I'll factor that in. It do, I don't weigh that at, I don't, um, factor that in as heavily as I would if I was training for a triathlon or coming off the back of a triathlon, but using as a bit of data. So I use all of these things. Um, I probably use my internal perception, listening to my body over all else, but everything else is another piece of the puzzle that I need to factor in. From the Instagram post, we have Jill and <clears throat> had a couple of questions. The first one, should those with a lot of experience in both marathon and strength training lift heavy during the marathon training segment or scale back? Um, Jill also asked a question around, um, do you consider rehab exercises to count towards strength training? Um, she says she does 15 to 20 minutes of exercises that were prescribed for a hamstring injury um, five days per week. And she also does strength training three days per week for 30 minutes and is wondering if that's um, if the rehab should be considered as strength training. It was a great question, Jill. I'm not going to answer it here. I'm actually going to add it to my solo episode list. So that's going, I'm not too sure when I'm going to record that, but it's on the list. I'll get to that eventually. But I really liked um, that question. I think that's worthy of a complete episode in on its own. And I'll answer your first question here. So should those with a lot of experience in both marathon and strength training still continue the strength training during their marathon segment? What I would say is, um, yes, uh, you should continue to lift heavy during your marathon training, um, particularly in the initial phases. So, um, because I understand the benefits that heavy strength training has onto running performance. There's a lot of carryover, so it should be factored in. It should be an adjunct when you are doing your marathon training. And most marathon plans, I don't know, go for 12 to 20 weeks, sometimes more, depending on what your current baseline is. 
But if you don't do strength training for, you know, 12 weeks or more, you're going to lose strength. You're going to lose those benefits. And so that's why I've just, um, my answer is you should be keeping it in. Uh, when it gets to certain stages of the marathon training plan, so if you're building towards, if you're ramping up your mileage significantly, maybe it's like a particular phase of like three or four weeks where the mileage really does ramp up or you're approaching race day, maybe you're about three two or three weeks away from that race day, then you can probably scale back the strength training. You could probably limit it to maybe one session per week as opposed to two times per week because then at that stage, what you're doing is you're not building upon your strength. What you're doing is you're just holding on to and maintaining the strength gains that you've made throughout the entire training plan. And so those benefits can carry over into your performance when that race starts. So... Yes, if there's particular moments within your training phase where there's a, a ramp up, maybe back off to once a week. Maybe if it gets closer to race day, maybe back off to once a week. But for the most part, you can keep to twice a week and continue building upon your strength. Um, and that all just depends on listening to your body as well. Um, if you get towards that ramp up phase and the body's feeling really good. Maybe you don't need to scale back, but if you're feeling sore, if you, you've got this muscle soreness and you just feel like you need to sub out, then that's when you can listen. So like when I was answering the questions before about Erin um, and Alia May and th those sort of questions, it's just listening to your body is the, the major thing here. It's just reevaluating how my legs feeling, how's my recovery going how uh, just the muscles in general, am I feeling stiff? Am I feeling sore? How's my sleep? All those sort of things um, just to factor in in the moment. And so you can adjust throughout your training plan. Don't need to make the decision right now, but just factor it in real time based on how the body feels. Lastly, we have Tucker and Tucker asks, have you seen enough benefit for runners to spend time on learning Olympic lifts to use in their strength training sessions? Um, so... Good question. I've actually haven't come across someone asking an Olympic lift question in, in the past. So when we talk about Olympic lifts, we're looking at snatches, we're looking at cleans, jerks, um, front squats, I think. Uh, so explosive movements, uh, particularly more popular around obviously lifting um, and CrossFit, those sort of things. Uh, my initial answer when reading this question would be that yes, there would be benefit to running with doing Olympic lifts, but I don't think it's worth the learning process. Um, I think it like, if you were to try and do Olympic lifts properly, it'd take a long time to learn. Um, so learning these movements for performance for purely for running performance, probably not worth it, probably not worth the time in terms of the, carry over or the benefit that it could have because it could take several months to learn if you're a novice if you've never done lifting before it could take you several months just to learn those particular lifts and then months again to build up to the point where you can lift heavy enough to carry over those those benefits and get those benefits into your your running performance and it would have a very similar effect to someone in the gym just doing the standard stock standard back squats, deadlifts, lunges, and calf raises, which still takes some learning, still takes a little bit of time to learn how to do those movements, but definitely not as long as it would take to do a really 
nice formed Olympic lift. Um, and if you are doing your squats, deadlifts, calf raises, lunges, like all those foundation exercises, and you are a bit more experienced, then you can start playing around with, say, a slow eccentric phase, fast concentric phase, which for, say, a squat, it would be slowly going down and quickly going up, the up phase. Uh, that, and also incorporating some like power or plyometric work. If you just do that, squats, deadlifts, lunges, calf raises, mixed in with a little bit of slow eccentric, fast concentric, and a little bit of um, power and plyometric work, I would say that would do most of the job compared to Olympic lifting. Um, that's just in my opinion. Maybe there's some strength and conditioning coaches that might um, debate that because I'm not going off research here. I do know the benefits of strength training for running performance, but they mainly use these exercises I've described and they haven't considered or they haven't factored in Olympic lifts that I've seen. Um, however, if you are already proficient with doing those Olympic lifts, um, I don't think you need to do too many other things. I think there would still be a, cro- a carryover into your running performance because the idea of strength training is you want to increase the force production. You want to increase the, the power. You want to increase a better stimulus to all your muscle fibers, get the, the potential for to produce force, uh, for propulsion. You want that to become more proficient and more efficient. And so um, you'll still get those with the Olympic lifts. There may be some small chinks in the armor. I think with all those Olympic lifts, there's no single leg component, which is why if you were to do lunges or weighted step-ups, it's something a little bit more single leg and more tailored to running. Whereas I've seen some people do a lot of double leg stuff and have some deficits. They have deficits uh, on, say, like a sore knee or a weak calf or um, something to do with their hips, but they're able to compensate that because all of their exercises are double leg and they feel they're quite safe with those double leg exercises. And it's not until you give them a demanding single leg exercise where it feels completely different from right to left that they didn't know about um, because they've been keeping to double leg stuff. So... That would be my general idea. Um, if you're already doing Olympic lifts, keep them in. If you're not doing Olympic lifts, or you've never done them before, probably don't need to um, do it unless you d- decide you want to do it or you just want the variety and you you see other people doing Olympic lifts, you think it's cool and you want to give it a go. By all means, give it a go. Um, so that's it for today. So thank you everyone for submitting those questions. Um, next episode, we're, uh, we're answering Facebook questions. We're talking about um, return to running from illness. We're talking about cross-training injuries, calf soreness, and we're talking about a bit of footwear as well. So I'll bring you that next time. And as I sign off, remember, every new insight brings you one step closer to your next running breakthrough. And that concludes another Run Smarter lesson. I hope you walk away from this episode feeling empowered and proud to be a Run Smarter scholar. Because when I think of runners like you who are listening, I think of runners who recognize the power of knowledge, who don't just learn but implement these lessons, who are done with repeating the same injury cycle over and over again, who want to take an educated, active role in their rehab, who are looking for evidence-based long-term solutions and will not accept problematic quick fixes. And last but not least, who serve a cause bigger than themselves 
and pass on the right information to other runners who need it. I look forward to bringing you another episode and helping you on your Run Smarter path.